All right, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, and we're continuing studying the book of Acts. You ever have that uh, moment of uh, a panic? Uh, I have had several times where I've um, had dreams, really nightmares, you would say, where um, I was supposed to preach. I've had this many times, and I walked up, and I didn't have my notes, and I completely had forgotten what I was supposed to preach, and I would wake up in a cold sweat. Well, today, it's actually happened to me. I completely forgot all my notes. Uh, but uh, we have the Word of God, amen? And uh, we're just preaching right from the Word of God. And so I'm going to try to remember most of what I put in here. And uh, that has, I don't think, ever happened to me. Uh, I remember printing it. I remember putting everything in my notebook. And uh, evidently, I missed something. And uh, I don't know what. I had a lot on my mind this morning. But I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, and we're looking at Acts 21, uh, verses 1 through 25, and this is uh, Paul's journey uh, to Jerusalem, okay? And uh, you'll remember that uh, he's finished up his third missionary journey, uh, and he is uh, leaving from uh, around uh, south, we're going to say west Turkey, and he is moving around Uh, the southern part of Turkey. There's some islands and things there. He makes several stops, and then he continues through the Mediterranean on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, Actually, there's a port he's going to reach first in Caesarea, and then from there, they'll unload, and they'll start journeying up to Jerusalem. And they always say up to Jerusalem, not because it's north, but because it's up high on a hill. And so they're always going upward to Jerusalem. And so if you have your Bibles, um, for time's sake... Uh, I'm going to start in verse 7, okay? Uh, actually, no, let me start in verse 4. He says, uh, and, and again, we've already looked at this passage last week. I'm just continuing some of the thoughts from last week. Uh, verse 4, in finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When he had come to the end of those days, or we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when, he had finished, when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and we stayed many days. As, um, and a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the one who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. Now, we, now when we heard these things, both we and those who were from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but to also die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we packed and went to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought 
with them a certain Nason from Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren greeted us gladly. And the following day, Paul went to James and the elders who were present. And when he had greeted them, he told them in detail the things what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, you see, brethren, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore do not or excuse me, therefore do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads, that all may know that the things which were <coughs> of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you, you're all, you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we want to see how Paul, at great personal cost, with great courage and commitment, dedicated himself to the well-being of the local church. And here we see the price that is going to be paid by Paul. As we continue in the book of Acts, we see that he is in fact arrested. And eventually, you know from history that he is put to death. And so, Lord, we pray that we would see from the pages of your word how we too need to be courageously committed to your church. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, that's what we want to learn this morning. That's the, the message we see here. The local church is worth my courageous, costly commitment to its spiritual health and unity. Now, we've already looked at the first of three principles that we see here dealing with how we make personal, courageous commitment to the local church. We see it from the life of Paul here. And the first is this, health. Health. Uh, the, we are called to dedicate ourselves to the spiritual and physical health of our church family at great personal cost. Where do we get this from? Okay, Remember, there's three reasons why Paul is going to Jerusalem. Okay, uh, He doesn't have a death wish. <laughs> he has already been, been told by the Holy Spirit that chains await him. Although he is uh, also informed by Agabus the prophet and by uh, Philip uh, and his daughters... He already knows this. This isn't new information, and yet he's dedicated. Why? Well, first of all, it's because of resources. Uh, there's a famine in Jerusalem, and they need an offering that's been collected by Paul through the Gentile churches, okay? And so this offering is going to do a couple things. Number one, it's going to meet a physical need that they have, which is they need money to buy food. Uh, they were suffering horribly at the time. Paul loved the church at Jerusalem. It was really what we would call the mother church. Now, don't misunderstand what I mean by that. I'm not talking about in the Catholic sense. Okay, by mother church meaning this. This is where the church began, and from that it outgrew, and many other churches were planted. Uh, there is no hierarchy, hierarchy there, uh, except for that God established the church through the apostles and prophets, and so they're still guiding the church. But even here we see when Paul comes, who does he meet with? The apostles? No, the apostle, James, who was leading the church at the time, it says, and the elders. Already we're seeing the transition from apostles to prophets, Ephesians 2.20 says, that they were the foundation of the local church, okay? Uh, 
That's how God revealed his word through the apostles and prophets. Once that word had been then inscripturated or given to us in written form, then it began to transition to pastors and elders and the ministry of deacons as leaders and then church congregations. And we see the churches becoming autonomous all throughout the book of Acts. However, uh, we see him coming before James and the elders. So the elders are already taking leadership in the Jerusalem church, just the way it should be, just the way we try to operate here at Faith Baptist Church. So they needed resources, or excuse me, uh, yeah, resources. Um, uh, so that's a physical resource. They needed an offering. But you know what they also needed? They also needed encouragement. Now, a couple things are going on here. First, this grouping of Gentile churches that gather this offering and give it to a predominantly Jewish church, the Jerusalem church, is an act of incredible love. This is a unifying act. It's saying, hey, we're in this together. Satan was trying to drive the Jews and Gentiles apart. As a matter of fact, we see it in the story. It says there are some who are saying that you're telling people to just ignore the law of Moses. So Satan is already trying to, to drive a wedge between Jews and Gentiles. But God is glorified in the church when God brings Jew and Gentile, radically different people, and unifies them in Jesus Christ. So when Paul brings this offering, he's saying this is an act of love. The church is all gathering together to love and support one another. So it's a physical element to it. There's a spiritual element to it. Also, uh, he's going to report Okay, so there's resources and there's a report he's giving. What is the report? Remember, after every time he preaches uh, or does a missions journey, he goes back to Jerusalem and gives them a report. Uh, he shows that he, being an apostle, is still submitting himself to the authority of the church. And so he gives that report. And they all rejoiced in what God was doing in the far-flung places that God had called him. And then he's getting ready for Rome. He said, listen, he already told the Romans, hey, I want to go and I want to have a ministry among you. I want to preach to you and I want to be mutually encouraged by your faith and my faith. I want, you to, I want to encourage you, I want you to encourage me. I love that about Paul. He's always teachable. And so those are the reasons why he's heading in that direction. So he's dedicating himself. Now he knows that he's going to get arrested. He knows he's going to have as he describes it, tribulations, painful circumstances, and yet nothing can deter Paul from the mission that he has been called. Why? This is what he said about it. He says that I may finish my course with joy in the mission which God had sent me to. He said, God has sent me, I'm going. And the people were pleading with him. I mean, if you were looking for an excuse not to have to go someplace, having your brothers and sisters saying, the Holy Spirit is revealed. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be persecuted. Please don't go. Tears streaming down their face. Now, you know what it's like when your kids would come to you and they're streaming down, the, tears streaming down their face. Oh, Daddy, please, please. And you're like, oh, I can't even resist my dog when she gives me that look. The other day, we go to Hannah Bananas, and, and I forget to get her a pup cup. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I, can I have a pup cup? I just really need, I've almost forgotten. I thought, and they said, well, you ha can have it for free because you've ordered some other ice cream. And so, man, I was so happy. Here's the reason why. I can't bear to look at my dog's eyes because when she sees me eating ice cream, she gives me that look like, you're not going to give me any? I can't resist my dog. So, so imagine here's Paul. These people are pleading with him, weeping, saying, please don't go, Paul, we love you. If you want an excuse not to go, but he persists, why? He goes, God has called me. It's for the good of the church. The church is worth it. I must go. 
And I tell you what, that's the kind of heart that we should have. And it was great personal cost. It took great courage. It took commitment. All that we as God's people would have this kind of commitment to his church. To say, hey, I don't care what it costs me. I love the church. I love, and the church isn't this building. It isn't an organization. It's an organism. It's a living, breathing thing. It's people. You, you know, really, we're living a time when the commitment to the local church has gotten very, very weak. This is not just in our area. This is all over the place. You know, it's interesting to me, the places where they have the greatest commit or the commitment are the places where they have the greatest persecution. Maybe it's because we've had it really easy that it's become really easy to have low commitment. But the fact is, is when persecution comes, there becomes this, this connection to your church people where it's not an option. It's a, I need God's people. We need to stand together. And so we see all this happening. So that's all what we talked about last week. If you want to hear more, you can go back and watch that on our YouTube channel. But now we see hospitality. We see this everywhere in this passage. I mean, it just keeps on popping up. Now, I, I want to show you something interesting, okay? Um, let's look over at verse 4. He says, and finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. Okay, the first few verses talk about his travel log, where he goes, you know, it just follows him along the southern coast and then heads over to Caesarea, okay? But he says, and finding disciples, it, it almost reads like this. That the ship came into port, Paul got off the boat, was walking through town and bumped into a guy and he says, hey, do you know Jesus? <gasps> you love Jesus? I love Jesus. That's such a coincidence. Aren't you thankful when you run into other believers? I'm thankful for that. But you know, that's not what that word means. It literally means this, to seek out. He didn't get off the boat and happen to run into him. The word that he uses there in the original language is the idea of and searching for. He found them because he looked for them. He got off the boat and says, hey, we got to find some believers. we got to find some Christians so that we can fellowship, so that I can invest my life. The fact is, as he was heading toward great persecution, he never said, oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. Hey, hey Paul, can, uh, can you preach a message? I can't preach because, oh, woe is me. He wasn't like that. He was like, I don't know how much time I have, and so I want to give everything I have. I want to pour out my life into other people while I have a moment. Because when I get to prison, I may not have the same freedom and opportunities. I want to use every minute. Now, we know that from the rest of the book of Acts, it says that he, he sought to be in Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. So he was, he was on a time schedule, but evidently they were running ahead of schedule because he said he stayed, later on it says he stayed with them many days. Praise the Lord for fast ships. <laughs> so he's like, hey, this gives me a little more time for fellowship here, and I want to use every minute. And so he sought out these believers. Again, you see him with Philip and his daughters, other people, and it just continues and finding verse 15, we packed up, we came to some of the disciples from Caesarea, went with us. Just all the time, Paul is investing in these disciples. And, and what we find is that God has called us to open up our hearts, our hands, and our homes to ministering to others. And we see this. Paul was really dependent upon this hospitality by other people. And so uh, he shows up, and they were willing to take him into their home, willing to love on him, uh, to help him with the, the physical needs that he had at the time. Now, you say, now, why does Paul 
have this sort of attitude. And I would argue it really should be the attitude of every believer. Every believer should look to pour out their hearts and their hands and their homes in ministry to other believers. I, I think that that's what we see in the DNA of the church. You know, where do I get that from? Well, I want you to turn back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, in a, in a, a pretty well-known passage there, uh, verses 40 through uh, 47, uh, they're the end of chapter 2. Um, and so it, we see this, this preaching. He says, and after he preached, it says in verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized. Okay, that's that physical outward picture of being brought into the body of Jesus Christ. By the way, baptisms are an important part of our church celebration. It pictures, hey, we're in, we're all together in this now. Like I go down in this water, I'm in Christ, and I'm in Christ with you. It's a very beautiful picture. They received his word, the gospel. They baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So they were added to the church. There's a distinct group of people now that are God's people apart from those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. And it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had a need. And so continuing daily with one accord and in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity, or you could say singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There were some things they were doing here that led to this kind of unity of heart and hands and, and opening of homes. It's, in the, it's embedded in the DNA of the, of the believer through the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you become a new creation. And that new creation has a DNA specific to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And it becomes this natural longing in your heart to be together. And, and together in some very important ways. It says that they worship together, right? It says they were praising the temple daily. It says they continued in the apostles' doctrine, teachings. So they were gathering together to learn the word of God together and to worship the Lord together. It's natural once you receive the Holy Spirit to want to gather together and worship. You know, worship's a pretty big deal to God. And corporate worship or his people gathering together is a really big deal to God. It pictures something that's going to happen in all eternity. You realize that? It's, it pictures a spiritual reality of all being one in Christ, but also pictures the one day when we're all gathered together in his new kingdom and we're worshiping the Lord together. Uh, can I say it this way? It's a foretaste of glory divine. <laughs> uh, get used to wanting to, you know, people, sometimes people say, I don't really like singing in church, I don't have a good voice. You know what? In heaven, you're going to have a perfect voice. But still, practice now. <laughs> Get together. When we sing together, it's a picture of what's going to happen in the future. And really, you know what we're doing when we gather together on a Sunday like this and sing and preach and, and pray together? Is we're saying one day, one day, we're all going to be together for eternity in Christ Jesus doing this. We're heralding the coming of Jesus Christ and his setting the world back right. Uh, and so we see these things. And so uh, we see not only was there worship here, but there was fellowship. They continued in the, doc the apostles' doctrine and their fellowship. The doctrine and the fellowship. By the way, let me just throw a little something in. Uh, you know, when you see the word doctrine, it's most often, it just means teachings. 
something that we do here at Faith Baptist Church is, is preaching and teaching. Now, uh, some, sometimes people uh, will uh, kind of make uh, snide comments about teaching versus preaching. We don't want you to teach, we want you to preach. Do you realize there's not that much difference? It's proclaiming God's word to God's people, and God's word has a response built into it. Obey by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we teach, be excited. I don't like when people, you know, start trying to differentiate. Well, I went to church that they really preach. And that one, they just try to teach. If it's God's word, it's what you need. And my level of volume doesn't change a thing. As some people think teaching is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The preaching is, for God so loved the world, amen, that he gave his only begotten son, begotten, only begotten. Let me ask you a question. Did the truth of what I said change at all by how I said it? No. Learn to love the teaching and preaching. Some people differentiate preaching as saying it calls for a response, but I believe all teaching from God's word has a built-in response to it. When God says it, we just ought to do it by faith, amen? So whether it's teaching or preaching, uh, don't, don't try to get mixed up in your mind and think that some, if I say it loud or rambunctiously, which you know me, sometimes I do get pretty excited in the pulpit. But you know me, my excitement level doesn't change anything about what I'm saying. The authority is not my voice. The authority is God's word. When he says it, whether I say it loud or not, it's still true. And we still ought to obey it. Okay, I'm going to stop riding that hobby horse. Okay, and so we see that uh, there was teaching going on. They, they were in the uh, teaching and abiding in his doctrine. And it says, and in his, their fellowship, right? In the fellowship. Uh, that's another thing. So connecting or community is one of the ways we unify when we fellowship together. Now, fellowship isn't just having a dinner together, although it says that they broke bread together. He says it twice. One is referring to the fact that they were observing communion, and the other one was from house to house talking about how they ate common meals together. Very important in the early church because many of them had come from a long way away, and they were staying far from home, and so they needed a place in order to stay to hear the apostles' doctrine so they can, after learning it, could go back to their homes and preach the gospel. But you see this community. You want to build unity? Do it through community. And I don't mean community as in our town. I mean community as in communion in Christ Jesus. Us sharing our faith. Like Paul says, the mutual encouragement of both you and me. Now that means that all of us have to dedicate ourselves. Paul was dedicated to connecting the hearts, and we should be too. That means we should all individually work at trying to connect to other people. Now I, I know for some people it is a lot harder than others. I tend to be an extrovert, so I tend to talk to people that probably I shouldn't. I think there's been a few Geico commercials about people who, like, talk to people when you shouldn't, you know. It's just, like, it it makes it awkward. I'm that awkward guy who will just start talking to, and you're like, oh, please. Oh, why did I forget my ear pods? I just put them in and just tune this guy out. Uh, But there are people that it's a little bit harder. The nice thing about the local church is you know people here love you no matter what, Right? Even if you feel a little awkward at times, no one's going to be like, oh, awkward. 
No one's going to make you feel that way. You know why? Because we love you. So this is a great place to say, I don't have to be an extrovert. I don't have to be like Jeremy, the weird guy. I can be just the way God made me, but I can still connect my heart. I can serve people with my hands. And you see this. It says they gave as anyone had a need. They were meeting practical needs. And then it says, and they met from house to house, so they opened up their homes. And that's what God calls us to do, is just to, with everything, every resource that God has given us, we can use it to invest in helping others know Jesus better. And we do that by connecting heart to heart. Here's the thing is, it means you're going to have to be transparent, be honest, be vulnerable. Now listen, I'm not talking about, you mean I got to get together with this guy and tell him every sin I've ever committed? Please don't do that. (laughs) Not necessary. But what you can do is, is learning to have enough, um, enough connection, enough courage to say, hey, here's some areas where I'm struggling. Will you pray with me? Would you help me? Would you hold me accountable? Will you love me? Would you encourage me from God's word? Would you counsel me? It's counseling. It's, it's comforting. It's also confronting at times. We have to do that too, right? And it's always caring. Always compassion. And so this is what we see from this. And then lastly, uh, we see humility. Now, this is what Paul does. Uh, by the way, for some of you are going, get to the prophecy part. I want to hear what you say about the prophetic, those four girls who are prophesying. First of all, can I just say this? Philip, lucky guy. Four daughters, not a single wedding did he have to pay for. Not a single wedding. I've got three daughters, and I've got one wedding coming up, and already I'm feeling the pain. I was like, Philip, man, you are blessed in so many ways. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It says, uh, it says four virgin daughters, and it points that out, I think, because it seems like they had a unique ministry where they were dedicated in singleness to this prophetic ministry. Uh, what about old Agabus? He shows up and he gives prophecy. Uh, so many of you are thinking, man, I really want to hear about this. Are there still prophets today? Am I a prophet? Are you a prophet? Who's prophets around here? Um, I'm not going to deal with it today because it really deserves a lot more time and energy. And so I'm going to try to have a message that's just dealing with just that subject because it's a big one. And not everybody agrees. Let's just start with that. Okay, not everyone agrees. I'll give you the best explanation I can from God's word, okay? Um, But what we do see is the humility here. Paul was not stubborn. He wasn't saying to the people who are pleading with him, don't you tell me what to do. I know I have God's spirit. I'm going to do what God told me to do. He didn't have that. He said this, why are you breaking my heart? Man, can you, can you hear the compassion dripping off that? Oh, guys, I wish I could stay with you. Trust me, I wish I wasn't going to have to face imprisonment. I, I, I wish I could come back here in just a few months, perhaps, because after we went to Jerusalem, it wouldn't, you know, he's probably going to go on to Rome, but very likely he could come back through on another missionary journey if, if he believed that was in his future. He's like, it's already hard. Guys, you're breaking my heart. He wasn't a stubborn person. You say, but the, uh, the prophets told him not to go. Remember what we said last week is that we have to separate the divine revelation, i.e., God told them Paul was going to be arrested. That was true. That was special knowledge that they would not have known had God not revealed it. But we have to separate that from their advice, which was, so don't go. That wasn't of God. That wasn't, God wasn't saying don't go through the prophets because God had already told him to go. And last I checked, the Holy Spirit doesn't contradict himself. <laughs> God doesn't contradict himself. And so uh, we need to separate those out. What the message they said was true. The advice they gave was not, tr- was not we'll say it this way, it was wrong. It was well-meaning, but it was still wrong. But then we see him not, uh, he, he wasn't stubborn, he listened to him 
He connected with them. He said, I love you. You're breaking my heart. But he said, I still have to go because that's what God's called me to do. Okay. And so then we see him show up at the Jerusalem church, <clears throat> and we see where James said, hey, there's been some people that are talking smack about you. They are really, they are, they're posting all over Facebook and Instagram. You don't even check Instagram. They are just murdering you on, on social media. They're saying that you don't care about God's law. And you're telling people that is certainly not true. God, or excuse me, Paul did put the law in perspective in the new covenant, okay? He did say, well, look at the book of Colossians. You're not bound by all these rules and regulations concerning what you can eat and not eat and observance of days. You're in Christ Jesus. He kept the law for you. You're free. But he certainly was not demeaning the law. As a matter of fact, we see in several cases, he, not only in this Nazarite vow, but in other times where he submitted himself to the Mosaic law for the purpose of unifying Jew and Gentile together. He wanted to do it out of peace. And so Paul shows up and they're like, hey, guys, <clears throat> James and the elder said, Paul, this is what you need to do. You need to put these lies to rest. And you can do that by taking a Nazarite vow, which if you want to look that up, it's in number six. And uh, the rules for a Nazarite vow says, why don't you take a Nazarite vow with them? You pay all the expenses and when you go to Jerusalem, you finish your vow, you, you pay the offering. He said, and then everyone will know, well, look, how, why, why do you believe Paul is, is anti-law, anti-Moses? Because look, he's actually performing the Nazarite vow written in the law. So it was a peacekeeping thing. But now imagine if Paul showed up and said, they said, hey, James and the elder said, we've been talking, Paul, this we want you to do. We want you to take a Nazarite vow with these guys. And he said, uh, newsflash, gentlemen, apostle. I'm an apostle. You don't tell me what to do. James, I'm at least as equal with you. And you elders, oh, who do you think you are? He could have said, hey, I'm an apostle, man. I don't have to, I don't have to prove nothing to nobody. Man, you see, uh, look at the humble heart Paul had. He's like, if that's what's going to help the church, that's what I'll do. It's, it's, it's not about my will. It's about honoring Christ, and it's about the will of us. What is good for the church? He puts aside his own preferences for the good of the church. And we're all called to set aside our personal desires for the unity and health of our church. When we start saying, hey, God told me this, and no one's going to tell me different. When we start saying, Hey, what I want is most important. Everyone else conform to me instead of us humbling ourselves to say, hey, listen, there's some big things we all have to agree on. There's a bunch of little stuff that we're not going to agree on. And we set those aside and say, it's not about my will. It's about what's good for the whole of God's people, the local church. And Paul was a wonderful example of this. Now, here's the thing is, I had a lot more in my notes. I don't have those. So we're going to be done, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close this morning, um, Lord, I'm very grateful for this narrative and the principles we see um, just flooding out of this. God, we want to have that same courageous commitment to these things, Lord. We want to be committed to the local church, Lord. We want to serve with our heart, our hands, to open our homes. God, we want to, God, we certainly want to have the kind of humility that Paul had 
and what he was willing to act in ways that were best for the whole and not just what pleased himself. God, that's what you've called all of, of us to be. But Lord, it, it takes the work of your spirit. These aren't things that we can just generate by trying to be better people. Uh, these are character traits that, that come through what Christ has earned for us. All of these character traits are things that Christ has earned for us. He demonstrated them in his earthly life, and now he can infuse these things in us through the Spirit. And so we thank you that God, has, uh, God that Christ has earned these for us. Uh, God, and we ask that the Holy Spirit would in fact infuse us and transform us so that, Lord, we live this kind of life. And Lord, my heart's cry is this. Paul cared about the church because he loved Christ, and Christ loves his church. And the thing that demonstrates most clearly Christ's love for us is the gospel. Paul was really just modeling the gospel by giving himself. He was imitating Christ who courageously committed himself to do your will, Father. And at great personal cost, gave his life so that he might rescue us as people and make us one with him. So, Lord, we rejoice in the gospel that makes this possible. The fact that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, died, rose again, and all those who have faith in him alone can be saved for eternity. And my prayer is there. Uh, today is that if there's anyone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, the Spirit of God would draw them, open their eyes so they can behold the wonders of Christ. They would believe by faith and be saved. Lord, we can't save people, but Lord, you can. And so, Lord, my heart's cry is that anyone who doesn't know you would believe this morning. They would be given new life, brought in to, to Christ Jesus and be joined with other believers. Not just in a physical location, but in spiritual reality. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if this morning you did put your faith in Jesus Christ, let's have a conversation. Because there's a whole lot of things that... Uh, God wants to do in your life and helping you follow Jesus. And we want to be part of that journey for you and with you. And so please come and see me after the service. We do have a... <clears throat>